who has made a New Year's resolution? Okay, so there's a few people. I'm going to ask what they are, if you don't mind. I hope it's not too personal. What's your New Year's resolution, Daniel? To pray more. That's a good one. Good Christian response, that is. What is one over there? Very good. That's a good resolution to, to not make any resolutions. Uh, there's one over here. Say that again. Cook some new recipes. Your, your, husband's, your husband's looking vaguely worried. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> over there. Going to make sure you read your Bible before your breakfast. You're going to feast on the Word before you feast on your Weetabix. Yeah, that's very good. Any, any others? There's one over here. To love the Lord more, that is a good resolution to make, isn't it? This is, you're a good Christian lot here. I'm, I've decided not to spend quite so much time in the gym this year. <laughs> you laugh just too hard then. But we make New Year's resolutions, don't we, because we want to see some change in our life. And the beginning of the year is a convenient, convenient time to do that. You know, we're, and we, we may want change in our personal life, you know, and uh, it could be change in our family life or even change in the church's life. Today, I really, it's essentially, I'm going to preach a one-point sermon and I want to suggest a good resolution to make that will, I think, bring about transformation in my life and in our individual lives and in our families' lives and in the church community and ultimately the communities we connect with. But I'm going to start by talking about a box, a wooden box. It's no ordinary box. The box the Bible often calls the Ark of the Covenant. The word ark, by the way, I had to look this up because I never knew this. The word ark comes from the Latin word meaning a large box or chest, which makes sense because that's essentially what it is. The, the Ark of the Covenant, sometimes called the Ark of the Lord or the Ark of God, um, it, was, it, it was a rectangular wooden box, about four foot long, about two and a half foot wide, two and a half foot deep. It was covered in gold and it was, it had to be, it should have been carried around on big poles that were inserted into rings that were built into the four corners of this thing. And in that box, it's not just the box, it's the content of the box, there were two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them. Do you remember them? There was also a pot of manna. You remember when God fed his people supernaturally in the wilderness? Manna came down from heaven. It's just always intrigued me because they were told not to keep any overnight, weren't they? And yet this one pot was put in there. There must have been one pot that stayed okay. But anyway, so there, and there's also Aaron's staff. So there's th this, this wooden box was no ordinary wooden box because it, it represented the very presence of God. And it was often the place where the Lord would meet with his servants and reveal his heart to his servants. There's accounts of Moses meeting with God 
coming into his presence around the Ark of the Covenant. Also Aaron the same and Joshua the same. So the Ark of the Covenant served as the symbol of the divine presence of God. (gasps) That breathtaking place to be. The place where God's people received guidance. They heard his voice. They met with him. But then something happened to the Ark of the Covenant. You know, some of you know this story because the Philistines captured it on the battlefield at Ebenezer. So the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant, the, the sort of the, that, that symbol of, or the, 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 the presence of God was nicked by the Philistines. Now, it didn't do them a lot of favours. First of all, they put it in the temple of Dagon. And um, so their, their false god statue, Dagon, just kept falling over and smashing himself to the ground and bits of him broke off and all the rest of it. That didn't like that. So they took it somewhere else and there basically death and plague broke out. It didn't do them a lot of good. They thought they'd nick it to win the battle, but it had a bad effect on them. Um, and then we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, and I'm not going to read it, so you can uh, read that this afternoon because there's nothing on television this afternoon. You can go and read this account yourselves. But we read that David eventually, after it had been away for a long time, wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, the presence of God coming back to his holy city. And there was going to be a big festival ushering in the, 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 the sort of the presence of God coming home. So to get, while they was getting ready for this festival, this, this moment, this momentous moment in the life of the people of God, they put the Ark of the Covenant somewhere for safekeeping. And they put it in someone's house. A man called Obed-Edom. Right Now, why Obed-Edom? I don't know. I've got no idea. But they chose this man. Now, Obed-Edom has got the presence of God on his coffee table. Right? I mean, what an experience. For three months, the Ark of the Covenant, this special item was just in his house. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, let me just read you a few verses from, reading from verse 11, it says, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. The presence of God was in his home for three months. And then the time came to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And they were getting ready for all the festivities. And as part of the preparation, the passage, as you read through the passage, and you can read this in in 1 Chronicles as well, in chapter 15 primarily, it says they needed some gatekeepers. Would you like to know who volunteered for the job of gatekeeper among a load of others? Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom, the man who'd had the presence of God in his front room. And, and now the moment was going to come and, and, and that sort of the Ark of the Covenant was going to go back to Jerusalem. And it was like, 
I can, I, can, I can do something. I can do that. I can be a gatekeeper. Now, I don't know exactly what those gatekeepers did, but there's a whole list of them in the Bible, and Obed-Edom was one of them. Even before they'd taken the Ark of the Covenant from his house, he's going, I'll do that. I'll go there. I'll be where that is. Wherever the Ark is going, I want to be there. Later on, we read that they also needed some musicians and singers in the, the, the worship group that was going to bring, usher in the, the, the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. Guess who offered to help there? Obed-Edom. You can't sing, Obed. I'll learn. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but it's almost like I've had the presence of God in my front room and I can't live without that now. I just let me be close to the presence of God. I want to do that. Could the presence of God be a catalyst for change in our lives? Something had happened to that man after he'd spent time in the presence of God. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to make a few comments about what that means. But it also goes on to say, after they needed harp players and singers, they also needed, um, um, that, that they needed gatekeepers, they needed doorkeepers, which were slightly different. Every single time you read the lists of the different jobs that were required for bringing in the Ark of the Covenant... Guess whose name is there? Obed-Edom. I can do that. I'll play the harp. I'll sing. I'll be a gatekeeper. I'll do, what do, you, I'll do it. <laughs> he had the presence of God in his house and it seems to have transformed him. Now, the question. If God is omnipresent then what is so special about the presence of God? Because God is everywhere all the time, isn't he? So we're all in the presence of God every moment of every day. So, so what, about, what is the application for us today? Now, now, you know, the Bible teaches that God is omnipresent. You know, there, there's, some, there's some famous words in Psalm 139 where David writes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. So there's that sense of, I can't go anywhere and you're not there. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we read this in Acts chapter 17, he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. We're, we're there with him all the time, aren't we? So can we draw this distinction about an omnipresent God and yet the presence of God? You know, Jonah, you remember Jonah when he tried to flee from God's presence? He was obvious he couldn't. But I think we can make a distinction between that all pervading presence of God, the omnipresent God and the manifest presence of God. That, that, that tangible, obvious, 
thing of that presence, uh, that, 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 that special presence of God. The God we can be with in a special way. You know, because we, we can go about our lives and we'll be in the presence of God. There's unbelievers, there's devil worshippers are going about in the presence of God, isn't there? So we're talking something specific as well here. The manifest presence of God. And Obed-Edom had been in the manifest presence of God and he was a changed man. I'll sing, I'll, I'll play, I'll sweep the floor, I'll clean the toilets, whatever it takes. So they had their festival, they ushered in the Ark of the Covenant, that box covered in gold and carried rightfully this time on two wooden poles instead of being put on a cart. You, you shouldn't put it on an ox cart, by the way. You can read that part of the story as well, especially if it stumbles a bit and falls and you touch it. There's a fella called Uzzah who found that out. So the Ark was back in its rightful place in the tabernacle, in the, the sort of tent of worship, inside the Holy of Holies. And, and that's when you read those further lists of, of jobs that needed doing, including not the gatekeeper, but the doorkeeper. And of course, you've guessed who puts his hand up for that job as well. Obed-Edom, I'll do it. Why was that? Maybe for... If this is as close as I can get to the manifest presence of God, then I'll be the doorkeeper. I'll be just outside the curtain. I know it's unlikely I'll ever get in there. I know I'll never have it in my house again. But just let me stand next to the door. Something had happened to Obed-Edom. He'd been in the presence of God. And once you've done that, everything changes. You know, what? Why, why are we always encouraging one another to go and read his word? Why, we've heard it even today in prayer. Why are we encouraging one another to go and spend time in prayer? Or even gather together in different ways. We heard, again, in twos and threes and small groups. and Why? Because of the manifest presence of God. We can encounter him in such a beautiful way. Now, I was, I was, I'm, I'm constantly challenged by the woman I live with, my wife, because she's good at this. Right? She's good at getting into the presence of God. Whereas my initial response so often is to try and sort things out myself. I've got a good idea. Let's try that. She'll go, I've, got, I've just got to go and spend time with Jesus. And she'll take herself up to a room for a couple of hours and come down glowing, literally, with the right answer. You think, oh yeah, that's what I should have done. But, so I thought, I was, I was quizzing her this morning, as, as just talking, I say, just describe to me so I can communicate it today, what it is about being in, the presence of God. And she, she made a few notes. I made a few notes of what she said, but I thought 
Should I, should I, I'm going to ask her to come up and say it because I think it'd be better coming from you. Actually, sorry. You've got to clap louder than that as you never come up. I don't know, just even talking about it makes you want to cry, really, because I can see why he's all singing, all dancing once he's been in the presence of God, because that's what it does to you. But it is, like Paul was saying, the presence of God is, is there all the time, but it's that making it personal, get shutting the door intimately and going and spending time with God. And you never know what God's going to do. You never know. Sometimes, not a lot, but you just feel safe. Other times, God can just undo you, and you just cry, and you don't even know what you're crying for. But sometimes you just feel so loved and happy because God just touches your heart. And it's a time of God knows our hearts anyway. He knows everything about us. He knows every detail in our hearts. But it's a time for you to get to know God's heart more. And there was a time when I was just in the presence of God, and I saw God's heart beat, and I saw it beating, and I thought... God, I'm that close to you. It's like if you put your head on somebody's chest, there's a heartbeat. And then I felt my heart beating, but it was sinking in the time with God's heartbeat. And you think, God, what, you know, I'm just one person in billions, and you that care about me that much. But it is a really special time. And I think that this year is a time of God saying, I really want to get to know you. I know all the things you do wrong. He knows all that. And that was one of the things that keeps us from God because we feel guilty. But I've really learned to say sorry straight away. When I do things, it might be for the millionth time. And I think, God, I've done it again. I'm so sorry. And I know I'm forgiven. So I can go and spend time with God and I don't carry that guilt anymore. I used to always carry this bit of guilt like I was like a naughty girl. But I don't carry that anymore at all. You can, so, it, you know, this is a special time of the year where God is saying, I want you to spend time, I want your whole heart and I want to get to know you and you get to know me. And God will say different things to you than he does me or he, he knows us intimately, and it's a really special thing. It's quite hard to put into words, but once you get it, you won't want to stop doing it, okay? Is that helpful? It, it is hard to put into words, isn't it? If it's not like a clear instruction, go and do A, B, and C, and if you do that, there's cause and effect, and everything will be good. But, but we know that when we spend time with him, if, any, if you've been a Christian any length of time, if you're spending time with him, you know how good it is, don't you? You know, it's not just c turning up with your list of prayer requests. Nothing wrong with that, and there's a time for that. But it's more than that. It's waiting on him. What's he going to say to me? Sometimes it's a whisper. And sometimes he shouts at us, doesn't he, when we need it. But like, I love that image of knowing of his heart and... Can, been in sync with his heart. It's a powerful thing, isn't it? And what would this world be like if every believer was encountering the manifest presence of God on a regular basis? If every member of City Hope Church who had their heart in sync with his. It's exciting. It's, 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 it's emotional as you think about it. It's a breathtaking thing. You can understand Obed-Edom going, yeah, I'll learn to play the harp. Oh, yeah, I can sing. No, you can't. Yes, I will have a go. 
because he wants to be in the presence of God. You know, for, for him, it was all around the Ark of the Covenant. The desire to get as close as he could to the manifest presence of God. What does that mean for you? Ask yourself, as you walk out of this building, if you're with your family, what does that mean for me? What difference would it make to you and your family and your com- the communities you connect with, whether it be through work or, or education or life generally? Obed-Edom was transformed by the presence of God. There's even there's another one I've missed I've I've missed off that list where we we've got gatekeepers and harp players and singers and doorkeepers. There's also a list of ministers as well. Once that ark was in behind the curtain of the holy of holies, the ministers that were there to help the priests to serve. To serve, it's like, yeah, I'll do that, whatever needs to be done. Because it's the presence of God. And I think one person who spends time in the presence of God can be a catalyst for revival. So how much more a community of God's people who are hungry, who are hungry for the manifest presence of, of God in their lives, who, who can turn off the TV and say, I'm going to go and spend time with my Jesus, who can change their diary just to think, I'm going to go and nick an hour because I want to go and spend time with him. And as we come out of those moments, what would we be like? I remember I remember time years ago when Denise's aunt came round to our house. We'd not been Christians that long and she'd been praying. And her aunt came round and she looked at her and she said, you've got that look in your eye. And she'd known another Christian and she'd seen something in them and she said, it's the same look. It's the presence of coming out of the presence of God. He transforms us, doesn't he? He changes us. So will you make your New Year's resolution not to go to the gym or not go to the gym? But like some people have already said, to get in the presence of God and spend time with him. And you'll find it becomes almost addictive. You know, some people are addicted to the soaps on TV. I've got to get, I'm gonna, they change their life to get to go and put that program on because I can't miss the next episode. Or, or at some great box set that you're watching, and you, you'll adjust your diary so you can go and see it. Well, listen, get addicted to the presence of God. Maybe adjust your diary for that, and then see what happens. See what happens. Do you want to see change? Do you want to see change in the church? Do you want to see change in your family? Do you want to see change in your own life? Then be like Obed-Edom. Pursue the presence of God. Let me just pray for us. Lord, it's good to look at the year in front and we look at 2018 
and we've got no idea what you're going to do. But we are excited. And I pray for myself and every one of us in this room that we would actively seek the manifest presence of God. We would actively look, make time for those moments to be in your presence. That we would come before you, Lord, and we'd learn to hear your whispered voice. We'd learn to put our head on your chest and our heartbeats in, get to be, get in sync with yours. Lord, take us to a new place. Let us not be content with our experience of you thus far. Lord, because we know there's so much more, even for a cursory read of your word. We know there's so much more. And I pray that we will be a counter-cultural people. Lord, that this culture around us is godless, and we want to be so godly. So stir us, Lord, stir our hearts. If it means making resolutions, let us make resolutions. But let it not be something that just, filter, just filters away quickly. We want to be those who are constantly in your presence. So w please, God, have mercy and work on us. I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>